Welcome to Ash Wednesday here at Catalyst Church. My name is JR. And uh, before we get started with uh, the, the kind of the content of the night, I wanted to give a few sort of practical uh, considerations, especially for our folks who are joining us virtually, uh, because you are not going to be able to be physically present uh, for the imposition of ashes that will be happening a little bit later. I wanted to give you uh, some lead time uh, before we get there so you can be ready. So you have a couple of options. Uh, everyone who is in the building, you should have gotten one of these little cards that has some double-sided tape on it. Uh, folks at home, in the description for the YouTube video, there's a link here for uh, where you can print out your own version of this card. And the reason we do this is because uh, traditionally you go to an Ash Wednesday gathering like very early, first thing in the morning, and then you spend the whole day with ashes either on your forehead or on your hand. Uh, obviously tonight most of us are just going to go home and get ready for bed. And so you would like, if we can still, and if you want, you can still have the ashes on your forehead or on your hand. But for a lot of us, we want to kind of remember this for a little bit longer. And so we can either, uh, in addition to putting it on your forehead or your hand, or in place of, put it on this card. For you at home, obviously you can't be in the building for that, but we want to invite you to, uh, this is a DIY ashes, right? So find something to burn preferably that you don't need anymore, and you can burn safely and make, uh, make some ash. And then um, I use a little bit of olive oil. That's traditionally what you're supposed to use to kind of make it goopy. And then you can put that on the card uh, a little bit later. I'll lead you in that as we're doing that here together. So uh, again, if you're at home and you have time and ability, print off one of these cards or just grab a piece of paper or something that you can do, and then make some ashes for yourself, uh, for, your, for your household there. And then again, for those of us uh, here in the building, we're going to be doing that a little bit later. Uh, all, and all this is going to be surrounding as we receive communion together. So folks at home, also make sure you're grabbing some elements uh, to do communion with us. Folks in the building, hopefully grab one of the cups on your way in. Uh, Ash Wednesday is a day that invites us to consider uh, what constitutes a good life. Uh, the shorthand for that here in America, we would probably say is the American dream, right? Which at one time was a chicken in every pot. You know, that's, that's the American dream, a chicken in every pot. Uh, and then uh, that gave way to a car in every driveway, right? We, oh, a car in every driveway, that's the American dream. And uh, I think when I was growing up, it was kind of like that, like a uh, uh, house and a white picket fence and a dog and 2.5 kids kind of an idea, right? This like idyllic sort of uh, which, which is funny in Dallas because no one can actually get a house in Dallas right now. But um, yeah, whatever, right? We're, str we're struggling there. Um, so, so, you know, it's possible that your vision of the good life has nothing to do with a white picket fence, right? Um, it's possible that your particular vision of the good life has something to do with a certain dollar amount in your bank account or a job that you would just know if you could get that job, you would have the perfect life or a relationship status. You know, I know folks who... Um, you know, either are in a relationship they feel trapped in, they're like, oh, if I could just be single again, that would be, that would be what I want. Or people who are single who are longing to be married, and like, if I could just have that life partner, I know I would be happy forever, right? And so I want to invite you, as you're considering what your vision of the good life is, uh, if you've thought about what role faith plays in that vision, because obviously we're here for Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. Uh, and Lent is a time that we set aside as a religious community uh, in conjunction with the religious communities all over the world uh, as a time for self-reflection, for introspection, for really trying to dig into ourselves and find that, that sin that is, is rooting within us so that we can confess that, so that we can repent of it, and we can turn to God for healing and for liberation. And so... As we enter into Lent, there is this assumption that we make uh, 
as we come into Lent, that the ways of the world around us are not aligned with the way of God. It's an assumption that we make out of the gate when we say, you know what, we're going to set aside this time for introspection and for finding hidden sin in our life. We're assuming that uh, we are not aligned with God and not just as individuals, but as a culture. I mean, again, take the American dream, for instance, right? Not every American has equal access to that dream of that house with the white picket fence, thanks to decades of housing discrimination at the federal, state, and local levels. Uh, Americans of color are significantly less likely to own a home. Uh, and we can take anything, wealth, relationships, healthcare, like any, any metric by which we want to measure the good life is inequitable along various lines, like class, race, gender, sexuality, ability. And we can look, hopefully, hopefully we can look at these inequities and we can say those are not aligned with the vision that God has for our world. And yet, I know, I mean, I know this from, from personal experience and from my pastoral experience. I think it's difficult for us. Like, we, we know, we can look at that and say, we know those inequities, those injustices are wrong. We know that they don't align with God's vision of the world. And yet, when we begin to talk about them along those lines where they're unjust, when we begin to talk about gender disparity or uh, sexuality or uh, ability, or race. It can be hard to connect those things to faith. Um, because for a lot of us, we were raised with faith sort of being this private thing between us and God, or between our families, uh, and may maybe at most our religious communities. We've been taught religion is not something that you discuss in public. You know, faith might regulate our individual activities, reading Bible, prayer, fasting. But it's not something that we think about in terms of public policy. In other words, we would say faith is personal, it's not political, right? Faith is private, it's personal, it's not something that, that is in the public life. It's not something that belongs in public. And again, that, you may not know this, that idea is actually relatively recent, it's only a couple hundred years old, and it came about as a reaction to what I think we would all agree are probably some... Uh, deeply abusive uses of faith and religion in public, right? In, in government and in, in public policy and things like that. So, so I understand where, where that idea comes from, right? But, uh, but the reality is, if Lent is this confession that we've all turned away from God uh, at individual and at cultural levels, um, then it means that our political reality is as fallen as our own personal realities. And any any serious examination of our sin is going to have to take into account both the personal and the political, right? The individual and the corporate, the, the self and the social. So if you have a Bible, turn with us to Isaiah 58. Now, uh, this scripture is one that we were in only three weeks ago. I was counting. Uh, so it's going to sound really familiar, but I think that's good for us because it's going to, it's going to help us build on what we did a few weeks ago as we move into the season of Lent. Uh, so Again, if you're here during Epiphany, you probably recognize this text. It's that question about fasting, which is a big theme during Lent, and what a true fast looks like. And so this particular text, Isaiah 58, comes from the time after the exile, when God's people were deeply focused on personal piety. Uh, and in fact, fasting was one of the things, man, they were just, like if you were, if you were getting grades, they would be getting A pluses in fasting, right? They were just doing a great job. And yet, they were neglecting the political reality around them. Their political reality was deeply unjust. 
And, and essentially what we're going to see in this passage is God taking them to task for privileging one and ignoring the other instead of attending to both of them. Uh, and so I want to revisit this text with you as a reminder that this division that we make between personal and political, between private and public, is a false one, at least if we're going to take God seriously and God's vision for the good life. So let's read beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah 58. The prophet says, Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud and don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. There it is, right? As far as God is concerned, whatever is happening in this personal piety is worth nothing. Um, And again, we're going to see that it's because it's disconnected from a whole just society. So, So ultimately, as far as God is concerned, all they're doing is putting on a show, putting on a performance. And I don't mean that in a way that they're they're acting falsely, like that they're doing this just for spiritual brownie points. I think there's a, a way that this doesn't, uh, this doesn't come from an intention to be hypocritical. I think there's a way that you can really focus in on personal piety because we think that's what God wants, that what God really cares about is that we are acting a certain way, that, that, that God's ultimate concern for us is behavioral, right? And that the goal of religion is behavior modification, to get you to stop acting one way and start acting another way. And so this, these folks have bought into that paradigm, and they are acting right. Uh, they're doing all, from any, any outward appearance, it sure seems like they're right. They're, they're praying in the temple, they're giving, they're keeping these fasts. They're apparently fasting, like, again, like I said earlier, like champs, right? They're like all-star fasters. And they're saying, like, why, why is this not good enough for you, right? Why is this, why do you find this so inadequate? And so God goes on to say this. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. I mean, even while you fast, you keep oppressing workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. I mean, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap. You cover yourself with ashes. I mean, is this what you call fasting? And we should pause here. Yeah, that's what that, yes, that is what, like if you looked it up in the Hebrew dictionary, yes, that is what you call fasting. Sackcloth, ashes, all that stuff, right? That's how you, that, that is, yes, that's how you do it. So this, this is God being very confusing right now, right? It's like if I told you to go jump rope, and then you were out there, you know, jumping rope. And I was like, is this what you call jumping rope? You'd be like, yeah. But yeah, everyone calls this jumping rope. Like that's sort of the people. Yeah, they're like, yeah, this, yes, ev- this is fasting. Everyone knows what this, right? And yet God is saying basically, no. Do you really think that this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. And again, um, it's so hard for us to hear this because we live on the other side of this text and it's formed our faith for about 3,000 years. But for these folks, this is a revolutionary idea, right? That this important spiritual practice that everyone is taught to do from the time they're young is actually not about their own personal piety, their own personal appearance, their own relationship with food, but it's actually about a 
political reality, a social reality, that what we're doing with our bodies is meant to affect our relationships in public, right? This is, this is a radical idea. It feels, honestly, it feels sometimes radical for us today. These are the people who made this idea up, right? So just try to, just try to let this hit you as shocking. When God says, fasting is not about fasting. Fasting is about freeing those who are wrongly imprisoned, lightening the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from your relatives who need help. Now, again, I, I, we need to be careful because you can easily swing this pendulum the other direction and say, okay, so God doesn't care about personal piety, right? It doesn't matter how you act. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you believe. As long as you're doing good things out there, right? Uh, then, then that's all that matters. And you can, you can hear how someone would get that from this, right? Um, but when we read this in the context of the larger scripture, we're seeing that what God is calling us to is a personal piety that's paired with political justice, as Jesus says, right, you can't separate love of God from love of neighbor. And so when God offers a vision of wholeness, what we could call the good life, right, it is a world that encompasses both, both personal holiness and political justice, social justice. It's both of these things together. And so when God goes on here in the rest of this chapter to offer this vision of wholeness, you can hear both of these ideas Right, personal holiness and social justice. Here's here. Listen to God's description of the of uh, the the word that the Hebrew uses is liberation, salvation. Right? Again, what we we're going to call it the good life. Then God says, after you have done this true fasting, that is, you know, releasing prisoners and feeding the hungry and all these things. Right? Then your salvation, your liberation, your freedom will come like the dawn. Your wounds will heal quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I'm here, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. And then you will be known as the rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. And speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own rules or desires or talk idly. And then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance that I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now again, this, this can so easily sound quid pro quo, right? Like that the main problem here was that the people had the wrong checklist and the prophet's giving them the right checklist. And as long as they check the new checklist, then God will give them everything that God owes them, right? Um, but again, we have, to, we have to remember that that is not how God operates. That what is happening here is God is offering the vision of the good life. That when we as a people pursue both personal holiness and social justice, when we work on these two things together, when we don't try to pick and choose between them or, or focus on one at the expense of the other, that's when we experience the shalom, the peace, the flourishing 
that God intends for us. And it it looks very different from the American dream. It's something that absolutely can cost us when we choose to pursue that. But that is what the season of Lent is. It's trusting that when we follow Jesus, it will lead us to a cross. But on the other side of that cross is an empty tomb. So I want to pause there. And uh, I want us to, to sing a couple of songs. I want to invite you to sing with us. Uh, and I want, uh, I want this to be an opportunity for us to celebrate the God who uh, calls us to a whole and holistic life, one that is loving of ourselves and loving of our, of our neighbor as ourselves. Our Lent series this year is called Broken Promises, and we are going to be both in the Hebrew Bible, uh, we're actually going to be working our way through a lot of it, we're going to be a little bit the prophets, a lot in the history books, uh, even some in the Torah. And uh, we're going to be looking, as we make our way through uh, those scriptures, we're going to be looking at different covenants that God made with the people. So Sunday, we're going to be looking at Genesis 2 and 3, and the covenant that God made with the first man and woman, and the breaking of that covenant. Uh, and you know, we'll be looking at the covenant God makes with Abraham, we're going to be looking at the covenant that God makes with David, uh, and uh, some others. And then we're going to be pairing those with uh, the story of Jesus, because... Uh, Again and again and again, the writers in the New Testament saw Jesus as fulfilling the story of God's people. So whereas the people were unable to remain faithful to the covenants that we made with God, Jesus was able to remain faithful. And so it was by Jesus's faithfulness, uh, both his faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to us, that we can receive liberation, salvation. And so uh, we're going to use... Uh, the, the interplay of those two texts, you know, the one, from the, the, one uh, from the Hebrew Bible about the covenant that God makes with the people and then the way that Jesus fulfills what we cannot as a way for us to examine our own lives. And we're going to do both the personal and the political. We're going to both do the individual and the, the corporate, the, the private and the public. Uh, and so here's what I want to invite you to as we are beginning this journey. Uh, we are all, I think, at different places in our faith journeys. And as a church, I think it can sometimes be uh, difficult to know where exactly you fit into everything. And so for some of us, this is going to be a season of of Lent where we're really going to be focused a lot on our own personal holiness. God is going to be doing a work in us that's primarily around um, some ways that God is inviting us to grow in our own private practices and our own private personal holiness Uh, ways that we can grow in our faithfulness towards God. And then others of us are really going to be in a place where where God is calling us to something more political, more public. It's going to be about maybe getting educated about a topic that uh, is becoming really important to us, uh, that that is a a topic that affects all the the public. Maybe it's going to be a call to get invested in some sort of activism or cause in your city, wherever you are, whether that's here in Rowlett or somewhere else in the Metroplex or somewhere else in the country, right? Um, But it's because you know that this is a way that God is calling you to be faithful in public. Uh, And again, uh, it's going to look different for everybody here. And I I want us to be able to hold space for that. I want it to be okay for us to be in different places and for God to be working in this all in different ways and for us to be able to come together as a church and to celebrate all of those different spaces. So Lent is going to be both personal and political for us this year. Um, So where are you? You know, where is God healing you? What is God calling you to? These are the questions that I hope are before us tonight and here at the beginning uh, of this Lenten journey. 
Uh, and then, of course, as we've been talking about, one of the central practices of Lent is the Lenten fast. And so I know some of you have already decided that you're going to fast from something. I, uh, I was sort of still up in the air until about uh, 10.30 this morning. You know? So I was still trying to figure out what exactly I was going to do, what I felt like God was calling me to. And that's okay. You know, if, you don't, if you don't have something figured out yet, uh, you, know, you can start it tomorrow. That's fine. You can start on Sunday, right? This is, uh, as, with, as with all spiritual practices, this is a tool uh, that we use uh, as long as it's useful. And when it becomes a hindrance instead of a blessing, that's the time when we set it down for a time. Uh, and that's okay, right? Uh, as, as Jesus said when people were angry at him for not keeping Sabbath. Um, Sabbath was made for people. People were not made for the Sabbath, right? God didn't make a list of rules and say, oh, I don't have anyone to follow these and then make us to follow the rules, right? That's not how this happens, right? These are, these are guides that lead us deeper into relationship with God and the Lenten fast is the same thing, right? And so if there is something that, that you have been considering giving up, uh, it's, it's something that we do as a privilege. We, we lay it down before God and we, it's a small way for us to participate in Jesus' sacrifice uh, on the cross. And it's something that uh, we pick back up on Sundays. Sundays are our mini Easter's, right? They're a feast day, and we don't, as Jesus said, we don't feast when the bridegroom is with us. So we don't we don't fast, or sorry, we don't fast when the bridegroom is with us, right? We feast uh, on the days that we celebrate Jesus's resurrection, which is our Sundays. And so uh, again, I I am intentionally not having you you know share what you're fasting from or all that kind of stuff. Um, I know you, uh, many of us do that sort of at a personal level. I know for some of us it's deeply private, and I want that to be okay. If you need, I'm a person who needs to discuss stuff. Uh, my wife and I always discuss what we're going to be doing for Lent, and rarely do we end up doing the same thing, right? Because that's not what it's about. Um, but yeah, if you're someone who needs to talk about it, hopefully if I got someone you can talk about it with, uh, you maybe you discuss in your C group. I know for some of us it's a deeply private thing, and that's, that is wonderful. Um, again, the whole point of this is that it brings us closer to God. And so there's, there's not really a, law, a wrong way to do the Lenten fast as long as it's something that's connecting you closer to God. Um, we're moving now into the time of our gathering when we're going to receive ashes together and receive communion together. And uh, when we receive ashes, there are a couple of different phrases that typically are repeated when I put the ashes on, on you or on your card. Uh, one of them is, remember that you came from dust and to dust you will return, which is actually what God says to the first man and woman after uh, they've sinned and have been cast out of the garden. Uh, the other one is repent and believe the good news, which is a way of saying we all have turned away from God and God's vision for the good life is the one that we believe is true. And so it's an invitation to come back to that. A uh, pastor that I follow online said it this way today. He said this thing that combined both of them, and I just thought it was really beautiful and simple. He said, you only have one life. Make it a good one, right? Remember, you were dust, and to dust you will return. You only have one life. We're all mortal. We're all going to die. And repent and believe the good news. Make it a good life. And God's vision for life is that good life. So uh, as we come forward, uh, we're going to receive communion. Here's what, here's what we're going to do, because I, we're trying to do this hybrid model. We're experimenting a little bit, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to receive communion together, all together. And then I'm going to be down in the front there with my uh, little uh, dish of ash. And as you are ready, you're welcome to come forward if you're in the building. Uh, and, and again, you have a card here. It's got double-sided tape on it. It's hard to miss. Mine's bright pink, right? Or sa- Is this salmon? Okay, some something ish. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, you peel that off, and then I'll put the I'll put the ashes right there, and that's something you can hang on to. 
Um, so when you're ready, you're welcome to come forward and receive ashes. I will put them on your forehead, on your hand, or on your card, or I'm also happy to do it like on your card and one of the other. You just kind of tell me, you can kind of lean forward a little bit. If you have bangs, make sure you move your bangs, right? Um, or you can hold your hand out, or you can just hold your card out and that's fine. Um, then when everyone in the building has received ashes, folks who are virtual, I will lead you in virtually uh, uh, doing your ashes. So I'll speak the same words over all of you and you can put the ashes on. If you're in a household with multiple people, you can do it to each other or whatever. Um, but I'll do that for all of us together. So again, you'll have a few moments here to burn something if you need to burn that or get your card ready or whatever you need to do. So clear as mud, I know. We're, let's pray together. We'll receive communion and we'll start receiving ashes. God, thank you so much for this, this evening, this day that we call Ash Wednesday, this day to remember that you created us as creatures. You did not make us like the angels. You did not make us like the animals, but you made us something in between, something that, is, that bears your image and yet comes from the dust of the earth. And that means that we have a life that you have given us as a gift, and it is something you call us not to squander. Ash Wednesday is a time that we remember that. We remember that we have strayed from you, that we have walked in our own ways, we have followed other voices uh, than yours. And we confess those things at the beginning of this journey to Lent together. We know we have some big conversations ahead of us, some difficult texts uh, that will hold up a mirror to us and show us things that we may find uncomfortable. And so we ask for the grace that we need to face those things and to be held in your love. We come to your table now and we receive these elements and we pray that they would be a spiritual food for us, that in eating this meal together, you might bind us together as a church that you are calling to a radical life of both personal holiness and public justice, that we would not be a place that seeks to distinguish between those two, that we would not be so focused on our personal holiness that we ignore the needs of our siblings, that you would make us a place uh, that stands with the vulnerable, that finds your image even in the least of these, um, that we might find the liberation that your son Jesus offers. And we approach this table now, we receive these elements, and we receive these ashes all in his name. This is the table that Jesus shared with his followers the night before he was killed. It was during that meal that he broke bread and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body broken for you, take it and eat it. And then when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink, and as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns.